Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let us open our Bibles to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 is a very familiar passage to many believers. I never apologize for preaching from a familiar text because I learned a long time ago that preaching is mostly reminding people of what they already know. And we need to be reminded. We tend to forget. I do. And so we certainly need to be reminded of the foundational truths of why we are left here in the world as Christians. And that is revealed here in Matthew 5, verse 13 and following. Let's read it. Jesus is speaking, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Last Sunday morning we looked at a passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews, wherein the author rebuked his recipients of the letter for failing to make progress in sanctification. They were not spiritually enough to handle anything except what he called the elementary principles of the gospel. That is the very basics. We would compare that to, to mother's milk. They were not ready to take in solid food. Indeed, we said last Sunday that the call to spiritual growth and maturity is a great theme of the entire New Testament. What we did not address last week is the why question. Why is there so much emphasis about growing and maturing, making progress in sanctification? Well, the passage that I just read answers that question. Maybe you've wondered why the Lord just doesn't take you to heaven once you receive Him as Lord and Savior. Why, why doesn't He return? Well, for one, He's long-suffering, the Bible says. He's giving people opportunity after opportunity to repent and come to faith. But the other reason is we have a job here on earth. The task is unfinished. And that task, of course, is to be salt and light. Our text in chapter 5 is part of a larger teaching, as you know, known as the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous portion of the Sermon on the Mount, probably, is a group of eight blessings collectively called the Beatitudes. And the root meaning of beatitude is blessing. Remember Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so uh, these next comparisons are what we called similitudes. Rather than beatitudes, they are similitudes. That is, he's saying, here's something spiritual, and he compares it to something temporary. And what follows today is exactly that. Well, before we get into what those uh, comparisons are, kind of want to define where we're going today. John MacArthur says of these verses that the believer's function in the world can be summarized with just one word, and that word is influence. We are left in the world to influence the world around us. And our Lord uses here in Matthew 5 three comparisons, salt, light, and a city on a hill. Now you'll notice right away in these verses that Jesus has a very realistic view of humanity. Many humans do not have a realistic view of humanity. Recently when our nation suffered yet another 
tragic mass shooting. There was a popular syndicated columnist who wrote in her article the next day that this man will not dissuade me from my firm belief that people are good. And I shook my head in disbelief. What will it take to dissuade you that people are not basically good? And that's been a debate through the ages. Are people born sinners or are they a blank slate? Is it environment? Is it genetics? What is it? Well, the Bible clearly answers that question, that man is born with a sin nature. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Jesus understood that, of course, because he's God and he created man and he is omnipresent and omniscient. And Jesus said through these words that the world is a dark and a rotten place. We say, Pastor, where, where did he say that? Well, he says, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. And what he meant by that is the world needs the church because it is such a dark and a rotten place. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. Then he says, you're a city on a hill. That is the church, Christians, are to be a stable point of focus in a world that's anything but stable. But the first thing we see is the salt. Let's start there. First of all, it is a savory salt. In our day and time, salt is cheap and abundant. You can buy it by the pound as much as you want for not very much money. That was not true in the ancient world. In the ancient world, salt was hard to come by and it was very valuable. In fact, Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. We have a, a saying in our vernacular that someone's either worth his salt or not worth their salt. It was based on that. A good soldier was worth his salt, his pay. But salt in that day and our day had two primary purposes. Now we know we can use salt for a lot of things. My, my wife keeps Epsom salt at our house. And it's amazing all the suggested uses for it. You can grow a garden with it. You can soak your feet in it. It's, it's amazing. But, but primarily, I think Jesus is speaking of uh, two uses of salt, and really primarily one. The, the first use is, is, there's been a lot of ink shed through the ages by people who want to say the church is here to add flavor to the world. That the world is a dry and a bland place without Christians. Well, I, I don't expect non-believers would, would buy that, but, but it's really true. Um, people are blind by their own sinfulness. They think they're living it up, but really they're, they're living in vanity. And so we certainly need Christians and we need the church to offer a different point of view, a Christian worldview. And so if we want to call that adding flavor to the world, I'm for, I'm for that. But it's obvious by the context what Jesus is saying. Salt prevents decay. In those days, there was no refrigeration, no artificial preservatives. So the only way to preserve food from spoiling in that climate was salt. And this still works today. My, my grandfathers both were farmers and both of them had smoke houses. I, I remember that from my childhood. And, and they would uh, slaughter animals in the wintertime, about this time of year, a little later. And the neighbors would come over and they would portion up the meat and they would rub it down with salt and they'd hang it in the smokehouse. And I was interested recently, are people still doing that? And so I got on YouTube and I looked up curing meat. And sure enough, a video came up of a, a fellow up in Kentucky who's still doing this. 
and he was in his smokehouse, and he was showing how he salted his hams, and he took out a, a very large knife, and he sliced off a hunk of meat, and he says, I cured this ham seven years ago. And it had been outside in this open air place for seven years, and it was still preserved. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what salt does. It keeps this dark and decaying world from being as bad as it possibly could be. And yet there are those who insist, even well-meaning Christians, is that this world's really not that bad. And if you insist on holding on to that position, I want to give you a few suggestions. Number one, go on a ride around with some of our police officers that are members of our church and see what goes on when you're in bed at night, right here in Keller, Texas. Or even better yet, I'll give you $1.50 or whatever a Sunday paper costs these days and go read the headlines. Or even better yet, just open your eyes. It is becoming much more difficult to believe this world is, is a good place. It is not. And Christians need to be wise and understand that we live in a dark and a dangerous place. But the thing that keeps the world from being as bad as it could possibly be is that there are Christians sprinkled throughout the world. Wherever I go in the world, I find God's got His people there, don't you? And it's an amazing thing. And it's influencing. Now, and that's not to say this world is not getting worse or that, that uh, we have turned a corner. The Bible says that's never going to happen. But unfortunately, that idea that man was going to keep improving and keep improving has, has been around a long time. And Jesus says there's a danger that if we're not careful, we'll lose our saltiness or our savoriness. Now, now Jesus created salt, so he knows that salt doesn't lose its essential quality. But what he meant is that when salt is mixed and mingled with impurities, it becomes useless. And that would happen in those days. They got their salt primarily from um, the Dead Sea as it evaporated it leave behind. And, and so it would often be mixed with other minerals. And sometimes it was so contaminated that they couldn't use it. They just threw it in the road and let people trample over it. And that was the image that Jesus is giving here. If, if we become mixed and mingled so that we're not unique from the world, we're not fulfilling our purpose here. He's not speaking of losing your salvation. He's speaking of becoming so like the world that we cease to function as a preservative. Now, what would it be like to be contaminated to the point that we're not unique? Well, I used the word last week, and I want to come back to it today, and that world is worldliness. You see that there's simultaneously two distinct worldviews out there. There's the biblical or the Christian worldview, and there is everything else. And everything else can be lumped into a category called worldliness. It's the idea that live for the moment, elevate yourself as much as you can, claw and, and grasp this life because you only get one time around. The Christian worldview is that this life is simply a pilgrimage where we're heading to our eternal and our true home. And so those are two very distinct points of view. But when Christians live like the world, that is with our attitudes, with our priorities, with our pursuits, when they're not uniquely or, or distinctive at all from the world's point of view, then we're not doing our job. There's no salt we have lost, as he said, our, our saviorness. And so um, that, that's the salt. The second thing we see here is that we must be unobstructed light. 
The problem that the world has is that it is in darkness. And in the Bible, darkness signifies often, almost always, evil, ignorance, and sin. Now, many people in the world today would reject that point of view out of hand, that they certainly don't even believe in evil or good. They certainly don't believe they're ignorant because they would love to tell you how much they know, and, and they reject the concept of sin out of hand. This came to sort of a head a few hundred years ago in a period of time you read about in your history textbook called the Age of Enlightenment. During the Age of Enlightenment, there was this exalted view of humanity. That humanity had within his breast the potential to solve all of his own problems. And really that was spread far and wide, beginning in Europe and spreading all over the world, that, that man had all this goodness and this ability within him that if he could just tap into it before long in just a few generations we were going to wipe out poverty we were going to wipe out crime and disease and this world was going to be just a, a wonderful place to live and that sort of thinking even infiltrated the church and started showing up in our theological positions there, there was a theological position that became very popular as it relates to eschatology or the study of last things and, and the idea went something like this Humanity is improving and improving, and one day we're going to get so good and fix the world's problems that Jesus is going to look down and say, well, I can be at home and comfortable there now, and that's when he would come again. Now, that was popular into the 20th century, because the 20th century saw some of the greatest achievements of man, didn't it? We had technology, the airplane came along, and Travel was much more convenient and safe and, and quick. And, and then, you know, in the 20th century, put a man on the moon. As we reflect back on the 20th century, what we also know about the 20th century, it is the absolute most bloody century in human history. And so, whether, rather than using technology to solve the problem of poverty and crime and pain in the world, we use technology to find more efficient ways to kill one another. Because the age of enlightenment missed a very fundamental point, is that man has a sin problem. And all of the scientific achievement in the world did nothing to address man's sin problem. One of my favorite preachers of that day had this to say when he was asked by a reporter about the amazing advancement of technology. And, and as he was becoming an elderly man was when man first was using jet travel across the country. And he said, well, we may go 400 miles an hour today to, rather than four miles an hour when I was a boy, but man does the same things when he gets where he's going. And there's nothing wrong with technology. There's nothing wrong with science. I'm all for advancements in medicine and technology, so long as we understand that advancements in technology are never going to do one thing to change a man's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that through the proclaimed gospel. And that is the job of the church. We are to be light. Light, of course, the opposite of darkness. As darkness signifies evil and ignorance in the world, light signifies truth and righteousness. And the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 5:8, that we are to walk as children of light. James 1:17 speaking of our Father in heaven, says He is the Father of lights. 
Jesus in John 8, 12 says of himself that he is the light of the world. And so therefore, as his followers, we reflect his light. Just as the sun, S-U-N, has its light source in and of itself, so Jesus has his source in and of himself. And as the moon reflects the light of the sun, we reflect the light of Christ in a dark and dangerous world. And that light, I believe, primarily is the gospel. If the salt is our impact on the culture just by our presence, that is, if you go to work every day and you're the only or one of a few Christians, your very presence there ought to have a preserving effect. It ought to, over time, change the atmosphere there, the way people talk and, and, and treat one another. But there comes a point where we have to do more than, than live a Christ-like life. That's a wonderful thing. We have to verbally share the gospel. And that's what I think he means when he says we are the light. Because Jesus, of course, is the true light. And when we reveal Jesus to people by sharing the gospel, that's when the light comes to bear. Our function is to spread the light of the gospel in this community. Because light reveals truth. When you turn on a light, you see what's really out there. When we turn on the light on the world, we see it as it really is, and it's sinful. Now, Jesus said, not everyone's going to appreciate it when you turn the light on in their face. Right? In fact, of Jesus, the Bible says, light came in the world, but the world loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. But here's the marvelous truth. When we turn on the light, yes, many, if not most, are going to reject it and yell out, turn off that light. But there are some who are going to be called by the Holy Spirit, who are going to see themselves as they truly are, and they're going to be granted faith and repentance, and they'll be saved. That is the plan of salvation. And hear this, that is the only hope of humanity. That is the only hope your lost neighbors have is for you to share the gospel with him. Did you know in the Greek construction of this passage here in Matthew 5, what it really says is, you are the only salt. You are the only light. There is no plan B, and there's nothing on this planet that can ultimately save other than the Lord Jesus. Now here is a problem though. Just as salt becomes useless when it is mixed with impurities, it loses its unique quality. Slight is useless if it remains hidden. I don't know if you did what I did when I was a kid. Try to figure out if the refrigerator light goes off when you close the door. And you, now they've got these refrigerators you can see all the way through, but that was a great mystery when I was a kid. It reminds us of that little song we were taught about the gospel. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Now, Jesus said you don't light a candle and put a basket over it. It's not functioning. Well, here's a similar thing he says here. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We've got to have the lights on. We've got to be sharing the gospel. We've got to be a fixed point of truth in a world that is unstable. That is the function of the church. Those are the functions of, of Christians. And, and I am old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan, the President of the United States, gave his famous speech where he compared the United States of America to a city on a hill. 
And I wasn't old enough to vote for Reagan, but I probably would have. But with apologies to, to President Reagan, the city on a hill is not any country. The city on a hill is the church of the living God. It's God's people who are set aside, who live distinctively different lives. And that is the commitment we must make to one another. We're talking about the vision plan. This is point two of the vision plan, to serve the community. And yes, we're going to be reaching out and we're going to be helping their physical needs. But the primary need of this and every community is they need a Savior. And the most loving thing we can do in outreach to our community is to take the light of the gospel outside the walls of this building and take it to our schools and take it to the highways and the hedges and take it to the softball fields and take it to your place of business. The Bible says, doesn't say stay here and invite them to you. The Bible says go and make disciples, doesn't it? And that's the task, is to take that light into a lost and dying world. But sometimes, unfortunately, though we may be zealous for the gospel, it remains hidden or obstructed. There's a number of reasons for that. Number one, I think, is fear and intimidation. We remain silent. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel. Paul wrote to young pastor Timothy, who, who seemed to struggle with this. He seemed to be intimidated and shy and timid with the gospel. And he said, don't be ashamed of me or Jesus, Timothy. You're a soldier. And, and go out there in the world and share your faith. And a lot of people who, who want to share their faith suffer from lack of confidence. Maybe they haven't been trained or they feel like they won't know what to say or they're going to say the, the wrong thing. And I'm sympathetic with those people. And we're going to share a plan with you today about how to get trained. But I, I think the primary reason we obstruct the light of the gospel is through our behavior. When the way we talk, when the way we behave, when the way we prioritize our life is not fundamentally different from our lost friends and neighbors, we put a bushel basket over the light of the gospel. They can't see it. You, you've heard them say, I, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking louder than your words. We must have a consistency of the way we live and what we proclaim. Because listen, a secret disciple is not a functioning disciple. Jesus says a city's got to be set on a hill for all to see. A light has to be observed to be effective. Now, thirdly and finally, he finishes this thought with a clear command. And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matt mentioned earlier, we're coming this week to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And, and of those five mottos, the solas, that emerged from the, the Reformation, the one that undergirds and binds them all together is soli deo gloria, which simply means for the glory of God alone. And the Reformers recaptured the biblical truth that everything has a purpose. You know, you hear that all the time when someone goes through a tragedy, someone will pat them on the back. Well, everything's got a reason. That's true, but we need to tell them what that reason is. When I was in college, and you'll read about this in my article in a few weeks in the Lifeline, I took a philosophy class and was introduced to a philosophy called nihilism. Nihilism teaches that nothing has a purpose, that, that 
nothing in the universe has any reason behind it. And it is a very dark and a dangerous philosophy. And if you wanted to put biblical Christianity and nihilism side by side, you would find that they are polar opposites. Because what biblical Christianity teaches is that everything has a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal the glory of God. God created the heaven and the earth for His glory. God set aside the nation of Israel in the Old Testament for His glory. God saves sinners for His glory. God keeps churches on earth for His glory. And if it's true, and it is, that the purpose of everything is to bring honor and glory to God, that means the purpose of First Baptist Church of Keller is to bring glory to God. Do you agree? And so in our vision plan, we're setting it out there, plain and clear, that one of the six commitments, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this in a few weeks, is sole deo gloria. Everything we do, every ministry have, is for the express purpose of glorifying God. Every time you share your faith is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Dr. Wright is developing a strategy that when those people are saved, that we train them up to become not just Christians, but to move on to the solid meat that they become, as we saw last week, masters and not novices. Not so that we can pool human resources here, so that we can ignite them, use this church in place as a launching pad to send believers all over the world through missions and evangelism. Brother Lawrence will be unveiling in just a few weeks an evangelism strategy to train the membership of our church. Not so we can invite people to come here. It's wonderful when lost people come here and hear the gospel. The primary means that God has ordained for people to hear the gospel is for God's people to be equipped in the church and then go out into the world and as they're going to make disciples of all nations. I hope that excites you as much as it excites me. Let's ask the Lord with His help that we may be salt and light, preserving the rottenness from being as bad as it could be, shining the light of the truth through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and becoming and remaining that city on a hill, that fixed point in Keller, Texas, that a lost and dying world can look to where there's hope and where there's answers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these very familiar words of the Lord Jesus. We've all heard it, Lord, that we're salt and light in a city on a hill. But we've been reminded today that that's the very reason that we're to grow up to maturity. Lord, so that we can function in the world the way you intend us to. Father, there may be some people here today whose light is obstructed, is covered over by sin and misbehavior, speech patterns that are unholy, a thought life, Lord, that is displeasing to you. Lord, I pray by your Spirit you would convict them of that today, even as you've convicted me, that they may confess that, repent of it, that they may indeed be light in their sphere of influence. Father, there may be some of us who have grown so worldly in our attitudes and behaviors that we've lost our distinctive and unique qualities of saltiness. 
Lord, we pray that you would purify us by your word and through your spirit, that we may once again be a preservative in our neighborhoods and, and in our community. Lord, we ask these things not so that we can be glorified or honored, but so the one we serve would have his glory revealed in the world, which is the purpose of our very existence. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.